disheveled. Get it? L disheveled. <laughs> and this is Jay of the Jumbled Mind. And this is Spark the Unworkable, a podcast where two women of color navigate the workplace web and untangle it one strand at a time. L, you ever hear voices in your head? You are, you are a, mess. A, mess. A, mess. a mess. Like that? Girl, all the time. And when it comes to work, they often say, quit your job. Because insert reason why you can't do your job. Ooh, all right. Mine don't quite tell me to quit my gig, but I have them. And the loudest ones tell me that I am a hot mess all the time, especially when it comes to work. Our work situations can bring out the absolute best and worst of us, including the stories that we tell ourselves, especially when they skew negative. And sometimes we find ourselves on such a downward spiral that the voices become self-fulfilling prophecies. This episode, Elle and I discuss those stories, specifically as they relate to work, how those stories undermine us, and how we've individually worked to change those narratives. So, Jay, what are some of the stories you tell yourself? Ooh, I mean, there's two sets that I tell myself, I would say. One as an individual contributor or just as an employee, right? Mm -hmm. And then one as a manager. Mm, that's a lot of stories, girl. I could be a very prolific author. I'll <laughs> jump out of my head. But I think as an employee, the story that I tell myself is, this is all I deserve and all that I'm capable of. Mm. Can't do better. I can't mm -hmm. go to another place. The other one that's super common is I'm not good enough. And this is just rooted in constant comparisons. Mm -hmm. And I've had it triggered. And this is where there's that tie-in, right, with my role as a manager. Because I've yeah. had a manager tell me, you're at a manager level. You should know this. Same, same. I've, I've had that as well. And it is, um, it doesn't have the intended effect, right? No. <laughs> I mean, it actually makes it far worse because now I'm yep. insecure about my people management skills. Exactly, exactly. And this manager told me I should actually consider moving to be a full-time individual contributor. Okay. Yeah. Not, so not bring, bring, your, bring yourself down a peg. Right, exactly. <laughs> As an individual, I've also had someone tell me, you know, you're just not really a numbers person when I was first moving back into tech and thinking about going into analytics. Mm. And he's like, I think you should just stick to roles that are more about dealing with people because I, I just don't see you as a numbers person. First time we're mm. talking. First I, time? Yes. First just conversation. Mm, yeah. Wow, the audacity. Right? And then I think the last story is that I haven't accomplished enough. And again, this is where those two worlds meld of being a manager and of just general professional accomplishments because yep. I've seen my other peers who are directors or they're taking on VP roles. Mm -hmm. And here I am thinking, oh, but I'm just a 
people manager. I don't have, you know, a really large team. Mm -hmm. And what if I'm not empathetic enough for my supervisees? Am I training them enough? Am I coaching them enough? It all Mm -hmm. comes back to the devil that is the word enough. Yeah. What about you? You know, a lot of the stories parallel yours. Um, I guess the way that I'd characterize them, like the main ones, um, and obviously, you know, to the earlier, the opening of the the episode, they skew negative. Um, right. That's the starting point, right? Because when we think about voices, um, voices can take on a different, you know, um, tone, um, and uh, serve a different purpose in your life. If you think about um, mental health and wellness, they can be positive, right? You could be the type of person who 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 says mantras, <laughs> positive mantras in your head all day to keep you uplifted. I really wish I could do this more consistently. My therapist has told me to do it and Mm -hmm. four, five, six years out, here I am. Nope. Nope. And, but I think it is so critical and not to, you know, diverge too far down this path, but just to raise this notion of like, you know, around this, this, the, the discussion topic about what the stories we tell ourselves, I listen to, um, an app you know, that helps you sort of start your day on a positive footing, right? And it right. gives you something to say. And when you get caught up in the the day-to-day and your work, if you're not intentional, you can lose sight of that. Um, and so just emphasizing like the stories that you tell yourself don't necessarily have to be negative. And maybe as, you know, um, you know, a next step for both of us, we should, we should try to amplify the positive stories, right? Right. To to drown out the negative ones. But in terms of like the negative stories I tell myself specifically as they relate to the workplace, um, you know, I've, I've shared, you know, in the earlier episodes that I've been a job hopper, right? And the impact that that has had is this, this narrative that it's too late to have a successful career. When you job hop, um, there are positives and negatives and, you know, there's enough literature that helps to sort of dissect what those things can be. But some of the negatives is, are include, you know, not developing expertise in um, a specific area, right? Like that deep knowledge that helps you feel satisfied and fulfilled in the work that you do. Um, if you job hop, it takes away your ability to build relationships, not only, you know, your day-to-day sort of relating to people, but the kind of relationships that help propel you within a particular organization or in a particular field. Right. Um, and so I also think about my forebears. And again, just thinking about my experience as a, a Black person in the United States and thinking about sort of over time what that has meant for as a, as a professional, right? When I think about, you know, from the time that folks that we were free in this country and the kind of, of opportunities that were available to us and how my forebears had to sort of grin and bear it, right? Mm. They, they, they stuck it through no matter what the circumstances and they did so because one opportunities, different opportunities weren't available to them. But I think also, and maybe I give them too much credit or not enough credit, but I feel like they had more tools in their toolkit to say, this is, 
this is the situation. And so I'm going to stick through it because I have to support my family. Right. And so when I tell myself this story that it's too late to have a successful career because of my age and because of the lack of tools that um, I have in my toolkit in order to navigate difficult job situations, you know, I think about what my parents bore over time and like how they stuck it out and how they were able to become experts in their, their respective fields. And I'm like, at my age, it's too late. Like this is, this is the story I've been telling myself that it is too late that, you know, my mother had me at 25 and had a full fledged career by the time she reached my age. And because I'm not at that point that it is too late for me. Um, and so that, that I think is a, a central narrative that till date, I'm still trying to untangle, trying to work through. It feels very unworkable, right? <laughs> work the unworkable. That's right. Um, I think another narrative that I tell myself is and that, I'm- sure. I just need to jump in on this because earlier on you talked about how you've job hopped and so you can't build that deep expertise or those deep relationships. But I feel like I'm, I mean, I don't know everything about your life. I haven't fully LinkedIn stalked and Facebook (laughs) and all of that, but I'm pretty sure you've been in the education space and public sector space for the majority of your career, right? facts. Okay. Thank you. So (laughs) I'm just going to go in and we'll get to this later on in the episode about how to call some of this out. But I think it's not true that you can't build deep expertise. You're building a more well-rounded set of expertise Mm -hmm. when you switch from different parts of the education world to the Mm -hmm. other, because you're bringing a whole new set of skills that these folks at your newest gig have no idea. They don't even know that they needed to know that. And it's all just in your brain. And you've got relationships from across the sector. So yeah, I'm gonna let you finish now. But I just <laughs> needed to point that out. All right, Kanye. <laughs> but and, and, and you know what, that's powerful. First, thank you for that. And also like that's, that literally goes directly to the point that I raised earlier in terms of the stories can take a negative sort of spin or they can take a positive one and what you offered is another way of looking at this um and i hope to internalize you know different stories that are accurate um and reflect you know the reality of my situation but no i what you just said is super um important and adds another perspective on you know how i perceive or the the story that i've been telling myself um and sort of tangentially related to that in terms of expertise and, other, you know, the story that I tell myself about having not mastered much. Um, uh, again, reemphasizing that deep knowledge. And yes, that gets to the point you just made, right? But like this, these are the examples of the stories that I and maybe other people have told them, told themselves because, you know, in terms of what's out there. And by what's out there, I mean, what has been written about uh, for job hoppers right. or even, even your um, authors who discuss sort of this, this, this idea of like deep thinking and deep knowledge. It 
it invariably involves practicing something for an extended period of time. And without other evidence to say there are different ways to practice or practice can show up, you know, different, um, you know, without a counter narrative and left to your own devices, you start coming up with this stuff. Um, And I'd say lastly, and just to build on um, what you shared in terms of a narrative, you know, the saying is comparison is a thief of joy. And I have allowed comparison to really tell myself again that I am not where I should be. Shoulds are um, the worst word that needs to be exercised from your vocabulary (laughs) and mine and everyone's, but. Right. But that's real. Like we are of the generation, we grew up with the internet. And so we are tuned all the way in. I mean, there are some in our generation who have learned how to, um, have a relationship with the internet in a way that is healthy. Um, and it doesn't involve constantly comparing yourselves. But for some of us who still grapple with, you know, making comparisons when we see folks on vacations on Instagram, or if you uh, routinely check your LinkedIn, somebody's talking about another promotion, another certification, another relationship with some, you know, celebrity business person, like it can, if you, without some sort of guardrails, it can lead you down a a, a path, right? Dark, dark path. Yes. I have done nothing and accomplished nothing in my life. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, like I said, I share um, in terms of the negative stories that I tell myself and just the 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 ratio of negative to positive. um, I share some of the sentiments that you share um, and also just um, I I struggle with with that balance of telling myself and uplifting myself. particularly with respect to my professional life. Um, and those are some of the the stories that I tell myself and it has been very impactful in my, from my perspective on my career. Like the stories I've told myself have definitely um, impacted my career. Um, how, if at all, has it impacted you professionally? Yeah, I would say that it's happened on a couple of different fronts. So from a purely professional development and performance standpoint, it's been really bad in that I've stopped trusting myself. Mm -hmm. I've stopped trusting my instinct. And that's one of the scariest things about these stories, I think, because if you don't have your intuition, what do you have, right? Right. That means now I'm reliant on everyone else, but I've lost my capability to take in information, reason through it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so that's a a huge one. And then the next phase from down there is, okay, so I now stopped trusting myself. I become entrenched in what I call an emotional whirlpool (laughs) because now I can't even focus on seeing all of these areas as opportunities for growth, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of throw, throwing over to the notion of a growth mindset. Instead, everything is just another reason why these 15 voices in my head are telling mm-hmm. me that I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. 
And you just get so bogged down that you're overwhelmed and unsure of where do I even begin? Because do I even have anything that I'm good at anymore? Like I've I've actually asked a manager of mine this, right? No, but I, 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 I do that. I make that, that noise for our listeners, but honestly, I engage in, in the same behavior. Let me ask you this though, in terms of that emotional whirlpool, do you, is it a consistent feeling or does it pop up in moments of tension? Um, does it only pop up when you're at work? Do you bring it with you at home? Like, I mean, the, the question is around how it, it impacts you professionally, but when do you feel, when do you, sense that you're in the emotional whirlpool at what times? Yeah. I mean, I think last time we were talking about fatigue and anxiety and this ties right back in. Mm -hmm. This just wears on me like a raggedy coat. When I leave the office, it doesn't go away, right? You feel this tension in your chest because you're thinking, oh my gosh, how do I even, what do I even do from here? Mm-hmm. And it's those conversations also that when I go to my manager and I have to ask, am I, of course, I didn't fully say, is there anything that I'm good at? But the wording wasn't too far off. Mm-hmm. Now it's not only diminishing me in his already not great view of me, but mm-hmm. it also meant that after that experience, I thought about down leveling myself and passing mm-hmm. up opportunities, which would have really set my career even further back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think one of the tough things about this is when you're in this state as both someone who's reporting to someone else, but also a manager, Mm -hmm. you are now also figuring out how do I navigate not totally losing my team's confidence in me as their manager. Right, right. And that has also happened. Yeah, because you can't really signal to them that you're in an emotional whirlpool. No. Like from a professionalism standpoint, but also from a a morale standpoint, right? As a leader, you want to inspire confidence. You want to be human and transparent, but also like, you know, giving the the like giving them the sense that you're in an emotional whirlpool sort of um potentially not necessarily but potentially um could make them lose confidence so yeah like that's that's a tough position to be in and i i am not in a managerial role right now but um i hearken back to the times where i was and thinking about when i was in a trouble spot and like how i showed up I think I think I did not uh, present my best self. In fact, I can in, in reflection, I can say that I did not because I didn't have tools to sort of take myself out of that whirlpool. There were definitely dips in the quality of my communications um, and the kinds of advice I gave, right? Right. Um, related to my own sort of spiral, right? So it definitely has tentacles that can reach out into your supervisory relationships like and how those go and i mean it made i've had a couple of these different scenarios right where it's been a tough relationship upwards which a hundred percent impacts your ability downwards to manage effectively Mm -hmm. and that was one where 
my team lost their faith in me. They lost their confidence. Mm -hmm. And that was really tough to stomach and figure out how do I build myself back up when I can't go upwards because my manager has been a huge part of being the source of a lot of these negative stories. Mm-hmm. And I can't go downwards because they don't have confidence and disclosing anything else is just going to undermine that. That hasn't always been the case. Sometimes I have had directs who I can be a little bit more honest with, hey, I'm actually not sure. But mm-hmm. again, it was coming from a totally different space. Yeah. Yep, what about yep. for you? I mean, to, to your point about missed opportunities, I think that's the biggest, that has, from my perspective, been the biggest impact if I'm telling myself negative stories, I am about my ability, about my professional tra- trajectory, invariably it's going to inform the decisions that I make. Um, and so that might overall, I would characterize it as missed opportunities, right? And it's it's um, literally directly taking myself um, out of the running for positions or signaling to my supervisor or the people that I work with that I'm not ready for a position, right? Like indirectly signaling via via like um, projecting a lack of confidence, um, projecting uncertainty. Um, In fact, I I have a story from my early 20s. Um, I was in law school at the time and I was interviewing for a position with an organization that I had really wanted to work with. And I was really excited that I'd even been considered because uh, it was in the international development space. And I hadn't up to that point had any experience um, working internationally, but they had given me an opportunity best, you know, to interview based on what I'd indicated in my resume and, you know, based on the job qualifications and literally, Literally, (laughs) in the interview, towards the end, I was like, you know, I think you could probably find a better candidate. Like, no lie. Oh, my God. And they were sort of taken aback. Like, I don't remember. I remember a lot, but some memories really stick with me because of, um, you know, how they made me feel in the moment. But but the, the interviewers were like, oh. Okay, that's very noble of you. But the idea that I was so, I lacked confidence to a level where I would literally take myself away from a table. And that was early in my career, right? Right. Um, and it, it, it seems like it's a behavior that I have yet to um, unlearn. Um, I think it has shaped the kinds of opportunities that I have applied for moving forward. I have a tendency even, you know, as a job hopper to move laterally as to, as opposed to like building on the skills that I've mastered and finding positions that challenge me even more. And so that's a huge impact, professional impact, right? Because we're not just talking about title, we're talking about pay, right? Um, We're talking about um, the long Yeah, I... Oh, okay. L. I, <laughs> I know I, I interjected. Know, I know it's a lack of process, but I'm know. the notion of even f- 
for you, right? Feeling like you were being noble and giving up this chance before somebody else had even told you mm-hmm. this wasn't for you. That one sort of blows my mind, but on the other hand, it doesn't because I think about where, and I'm taking us a little bit off course here, mm-hmm. but where do you feel like that came from? That notion that you, maybe you just weren't qualified enough, but to the extent that you actually said aloud, I think there's somebody else who could be better take me out of this role, right? Do you think it was an external signal that you got or, yeah, walk me through this because my mind is just spinning right now. (laughs) Right, I mean, saying it out loud has my mind spinning because I think about the potential for my career had I moved forward with that, like what if I had gotten it? What if my career had gone in a different direction? And so, yes, uh, my, my mind in this moment is also spinning. But you know, in reflecting in the moment about the source, I have tried to, like starting with an external source because oftentimes, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves are influenced by what other people tell us or influenced by what society tells us. And I can honestly say that in this moment, I have not identified a direct external force, right? We can talk about society in the abstract and sort of like, you know, the, the way that society has positioned in particular, like black Americans, um, such that, um, you know, they've tried to, society has tried to minimize particular opportunities for black Americans, you know, in terms of leadership roles, types of roles, so on and so forth. Like we can talk about it in the abstract, but when I, when I think about supervisors and potential other sources of these negative stories, I cannot think of anyone or any particular situation um, that is the root for that. Um, I really do think that um, at at that point, it was largely the story I had told myself. Right. Um, I also think that I have held myself to a very high standard in terms of my performance. And when I think about where I was at that time, I was in law school, right? And it's weird. There's this weird juxtaposition in the sense of like, on the one hand, you want to be successful in a thing, but on the other hand, you know you are not putting in the effort. Right. And law school was that kind of thing for me <laughs> where I knew that if I studied hard enough that I could do very well, but I also didn't care that much. Um, and I'm not going to lie. It's time to do a little bit of hanging out, partying, chilling. <laughs> I mean, right. You know what I'm saying? But that's that wasn't the mentality of my peers. Um, law school was very competitive. Um, like the stories you've heard about people stealing books and people just being overly competitive and not wanting to share. See, this share is why I decided law school was a no for me. It, it is very competitive. And because I wasn't, it was like I didn't. I knew I was in the rat race, but I didn't want to run in the rat race and compete in that way. And so I didn't see the performance that um, I saw of my other peers, but it was purely because of my own efforts. Like when I was really interested in a class, I would put in the work and I would get a, a, an A, which is like 
a good, like a really uh, powerful thing in law school because there's a curve, right? And so I knew I could get A's if I wanted them. Right. But I, but I also wasn't as invested because I ultimately knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. Um, and I knew that from the very beginning. And so it was just this weird, I think this weird dynamic of, uh, and maybe it's the, the whole theory behind procrastination, mm. right? That a lot of people procrastinate uh, because of a fear, right? That something is hard and right. the reality being something completely different. And so I say all that to say that it was a lot, the, a lot of the narrative has been um, internally driven. I have not had, I've had very few people in my life tell me that I can't do a thing um, intellectually. Um, I know my, I know my weaknesses, like math right. can, ba- can barely count can barely count and i do not listen to her (laughs) folks she's exaggerating and my test scores indicate as much um my eyes are gonna break from rolling (laughs) but but yeah at the end of the day it was something very much that i was telling myself and maybe there's a, a deeper reason that i need to uncover in therapy somewhere but um so your question i don't know like I don't know why I started telling myself that other than what I've just sort of hypothesized. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in your head, so, and I'm not qualified to make any judgments, but that's not (laughs) going to keep me from opining. I do think that this points to the danger of a lot of these subconscious messages, if you will, that we take in from society. So maybe you mm-hmm. haven't had a teacher or a professor explicitly tell you right. that you can't do something, but you read, right? Mm-hmm. You see what other people go through. And I think to some extent that does start to filter down to our consciousness of yeah. what are we capable of? What do we think we can't really do? Even if someone hasn't explicitly told us that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. They don't have to tell us. They can just show us. Right. Um, you can see it in the narratives, in in the the entertainment you consume. And like for some of us, we're more subtly impacted by that um, than others. And I, that's that's a really great point. I mean, that goes to the heart of, of um, you know, the case for Brown v. Board of Education when the attorneys, you know, gave the child the children a, a white doll and a black doll, and and said which one is better, right? Um, in that case, you know, there was not necessarily someone in their household saying that this, this white doll is better, but that's the conclusion that they reached, right? Because of the, the subtle messages, because of the, you know, just everything around you. I mean, Toni Morrison writes about this in The Bluest Eye too, right? All of these messages constantly filter through and then you get to the other side and you're thinking, but this wasn't. I mean, this is kind of on me and I don't say this to single you out, but I think there is that grace that you need to give yourself as Mm -hmm. well of these stories. Yes. Oftentimes we do amplify them. We have the choice to amplify them in our own heads, Mm -hmm. but they often are coming from external sources Mm -hmm. and it's still important to call that out. Even if you can't attribute it to one specific comment Or one person telling you, you're just not that good at numbers. You should just, you should just stay away from that. Which is crazy, by the way. And I'm sorry you had to experience it. Um, 
But that's a that's a great sort of segue into like breaking out of that personal echo chamber to your point um, about acknowledging the impact of society and what the societal narrative is with respect to, you know, your identity and what you're capable of. But like once you acknowledge it, like how do you break out of that as an individual? Um, And so I wonder what have been some of the ways that you've navigated your way out of these stories? And it isn't to say that we have, have stopped telling ourselves these stories, right? I wish. <laughs> right. But the ways in which we minimize the impact of those stories or elevated more positive stories so that they have less of an impact on our lives. So how have you sort of navigated or what kind of tools do you have to help you navigate those those negative stories? I feel like the first thing that I've had to do and constantly have to remind myself, as well as any of my directs, I've had teams of almost all women, so and most of them women of color. So you can imagine that after being in the workforce for a while, these messages really take a toll on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what I have had to remind myself is that this is common. There's no shame in having these negative narratives run through your head and feeling like you're the only person. It happens Mm -hmm. to literally everyone. And I think it's often hard to talk about it openly because you have all of these boss lady narratives and Mm -hmm. be confident, (laughs) just speak up more. But the reality, okay, girl. right? <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, don't talk about the things that I'm not good at because I have to be confident all the time. So now I'm just going to feel shameful, not only about those things that I already thought I wasn't good at, but also now I'm going to feel bad because I feel bad, which mm-hmm. is, as you can imagine, super productive and really helpful for getting you mm-hmm. out of your head. Right. And I think, so that was the first one. The second one is catching these thoughts early on and debating them. So one thing that I've had to continue to work towards is literally keeping thought logs. And at the first sign of, uh, well, I just didn't do that that well, mm-hmm. noting that down and immediately debating, right? Figuring out, is this is this actually true? Where's the evidence Mm -hmm. for this story that I'm telling myself, or in your case, when you're all, well, I mean, I don't have this depth of expertise. If you sent me that, I would send you 15 pages back with evidence (laughs) refuting it and telling you why you were wrong in every possible way. But I think that's really critical. And Tara Moore, not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She has a book called Playing Big, where one of the chapters is literally about how do you handle feedback? Because so Mm -hmm. often, all of these thoughts are coming from feedback we received at some point in our lives. Right. And she talks about, you know, hey, actually, figure out what is the feedback? Who is it coming from? What do you want to do with that feedback? Right? Mm -hmm. Do do I actually want to give that feedback, any power. Mm -hmm. And I think the other pieces here, and I clearly have a little bit of a long list because I've had to really build out my arsenal for this, Mm -hmm. is finding your people. You got to find the ones who will validate or push on your assumptions or these narratives. Like, you know, having 
a manager who, when I went to talk to him and he told me, look, all of these things you're saying about your work or your manager's perception of your work, they're not true. I know this whole leadership team who believes in you, but I'm seeing that you are a shell of who you were when you started this role. Right. And that was a reality check that I needed because otherwise I wouldn't have known what was true. So what was true was that my work was solid. Mm -hmm. What was true was that I had let this other manager's feedback and the environment really force me into a small space. Mm -hmm. And I think about this one line from Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon, where one of the characters talks about how she was always pressed small, Mm -hmm. even in this big house. That's how I felt in that role. But having someone to say, this isn't true, helped push me out of that. Mm-hmm. And logging my hall of fame, if you will, and victories, which is an idea that I got from one of my directs, that's made a difference. But I know I've just listed a litany of things. What do you do? A litany of very helpful things, right? And my my list is definitely less robust because it's still something that I'm dealing with at a very deep level, right? It isn't, I, I haven't put in the, the necessary work yet. Uh, and it's something that, um, you know, in terms of the examples you just shared, um, something that I, I, I want to continue to engage with and, and ultimately, you know, resolve to the best of my ability. But I think you raised some really good points in terms of like having folks in your life, right? And we're talking about professional settings. So workplace allies who can talk you off the ledge and talking off the ledge obviously um, involves affirming you, uh, you know, helping you to see the good things when you aren't able to see them for yourself. Um, I think for me also, uh, one thing I have had in my toolkit for a while is like this notion of being prepared and preparing for situations that might trigger me. Mm. Um, Thinking through all of the contingencies, practicing, you know, think about it in terms of a presentation where you're, you know, you're going before the the leadership of your your organization or, or everyone really, right? Because it's not just leadership that can be critical of of, uh, what you discuss. And so just being prepared to, uh, for every sort of uh, type of audience member in a situation and sort of thinking through all of the things, all the potential questions that might ask. And, and largely, I think for me personally, it's, it's really sort of acknowledging and being aware of the negative narratives. You talked about a log, right? And literally logging those moments where you're, you're speaking trash to yourself. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> I Take don't it think out. I, yes. Right. Like I have not been intentional in that way to say, in this moment, I'm I'm talking crazy to myself. This this you know to use the language of popular social media self care and mental right. well being like this does not serve me in this moment. Um, you know, being able to check it in the moment is very powerful because when we talk about spirals, if you check it in the moment, you prevent it from going down a, a long road. Right, you nip it in the bud, you cut it off before it goes spirals into something deeper. And so 
you know, those are the things that I've been using up until this point. But all of the things that you shared um, are things that I could potentially incorporate into my arsenal. Because if you've been doing and engaging in this kind of behavior for a long time, sort of extracting yourself from it, it takes a while. It's not it's not an overnight process. Um, and so, yeah, you know, Jay, in this situation, in terms of like the negative stories we tell ourselves, how do we work the unworkable? How do we do it? I feel like there's three phases, right? You got to sense it. Be aware when you start feeling yourself about to spout some nonsense about how you're not qualified for the job. Yeah, you're never going to live this down. Ever. Yeah, Yeah, no. (laughs) The second one is prepare, right? You talked about this of what can I do to preempt it before Mm. I even have to sense it? And then be okay with the fact that these negative narratives will happen, but have your people with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably talk about this more in depth in the future, but it's having those people who will affirm you, lift you up, but also keep you in check when yes. you are talking nonsense because they'll bring you back to the reality of, all right, here's the things you really need to work on. And that's okay. That's why it's good. And here's the stuff where, Elle, don't come at me with that. I know you got a million degrees. I don't want to hear any of this about how you don't have expertise. And also, if you do, kiss goodbye to your lavender milk tea. That will never happen again. See, y'all, she's trying to take away the love of my life, (laughs) lavender milk tea. But no, thank you, friend. I appreciate that. Um, I think that is definitely some important workable wisdom, especially for me. Um, And I appreciate you. Um, On that note, thank you for joining us uh, on Work the Unworkable. We'll see you in the copy room next time. Peace.